So if you're here uh, for the first time in this series, let me just sort of give you a really quick overview um, of what the series is about. And then I want to encourage you to go back. You can download our app. You can go to our YouTube page. You can go to our website, osillabaptist.org. You can go to all three of those uh, places and listen to all of the past messages. And all of these messages are really just sort of building upon one another. So we're journeying through the book of John. And in the book of John, Uh, John records seven miracles that Jesus performed, and we covered those in the first seven weeks of this series, and those seven miracles were really to point us to something. Number, uh, Number one is the first three pointed us to how someone is saved, and then the last four of those seven miracles are the results that come to us as believers as a result of our salvation. And then these I am statements, what are those things about? Jesus, uh, John records seven I am statements that Jesus makes. And um, those seven statements uh, uh, really just are these identity things that Jesus is pitching to us. And last week, we, we kind of talked about this, this idea of the I am, and we're going to get into that just a little bit. Um, but what I want to do to kind of kick us off this morning is I, wanna, I wanna, just want to bring up something you guys are probably familiar with, right? Like there's this... In, in life, we use the metaphor of doors a lot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, um, how many of you remember, I think there's a new version of it, but it, it originated like in the 60s and ran into the 70s. There was a, a, a TV show called um, uh, Let's Make a Deal. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember the guy's name that hosted it? Monty Hall, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are, you guys are on it this morning. Monty Hall. And, and here's the interesting thing. Like in this game show, if you're not familiar with it, Monty Hall would always, they'd pull contestants out of the crowd and then he would give them money or he'd give them something. And when he did, he would say, okay, now here's your, you can keep the money or the thing or you can, you can take whatever is behind door number one or door number two, whatever it is, right? He would make, and so they would get this opportunity to make an exchange. They could either keep what they had or they could exchange it for whatever might lie behind. Now, sometimes it worked out to their benefit. I mean, they might get several hundred dollars and then they would trade it and the thing behind the door was worth a thousand dollars. And then other times they might trade it and what was behind door number two might be like a goat or something. You know what I mean? It was just something crazy. And then you're like, oh man, I should have kept the money. So then there's also this, there's these other um, arenas in our life where we see the metaphor of a door used. Anybody see the movie Chronicles of Narnia? Y'all, y'all see that one? I mean, fantastic movie. Books are fantastic. Um, and in that, it's the, it's the metaphor of the door represents or through the door represents another world, another life, just something that's brand new. And uh, then, of course, a lot of times when we pray as Christians, how many of you have ever come to that, that fork in the road? You know what I'm talking about? You get there and there's like this decision to be made. Do I take this job? Do I move to this place? Do I, whatever that is. And when we pray, we begin to pray these things. Okay, God, would you open a door? Or we may say, God, if it's not you, would you close a door? But we're very familiar in our life with this metaphor of a door. And so in our text today, Jesus is going to make his third I am statement. We, we began a couple weeks ago in these I am statements, I am the bread of life. And last week was I am the light of the world. And today he makes this statement and he says, I am the door. And this is a huge, listen, this is a huge, huge deal. As I um, began to unpack this this week, the more I studied it, the more it opened up. And, and it's just, I mean, it's deep, 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 deep stuff. And so we've got a lot of digging to do today. And I want us to just really lean in. And I hope and, and pray that I can explain this really, really well. So to better understand this, this idea, um, to understand our text, we need to understand what 
he is saying. And so Jesus is calling himself the door to something that's called a sheepfold. Now, let me help you understand what a sheepfold is if, if you're not very familiar. I mean, and, and really to kind of help us understand why Jesus would call himself the door to a sheepfold. In, in Middle Eastern sheepfold, it was very simple. So what they would do is they would take stones and they would build a wall, sometimes as high as 10 feet. And then in the, in the middle, so they'd come all the way around. And then in the middle, they would leave a gap about the width of what like we have here with these pews and down this aisle. And there would be this just hole. And they wouldn't fill it with anything. They wouldn't build a door or a gate. They just left it open. And what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would lead the sheep into the sheepfold. And then he would lay down. That he would sleep there at night. At night they would go and he would lay down in that opening and he would sleep there and he himself would become the gate. So Jesus is saying, I'm the door or other translations would say, I'm the gate. Now, the shepherd in the village, again, he would drive his sheep in there. He would drive him in at nightfall. And then if, if it wasn't him, they would also have this thing they call a porter or like a guard. And he would just take the place. So a lot of times in their culture, uh, particularly in a village, you would have several flocks and several shepherds, but there would be one sheepfold. And so they would usher their sheep into the sheepfold and then they would maybe hire or they would take turns rotating as the gate or the door. And then in the morning, when it was time, all the shepherds would come out. When it was time to go take their flocks out to pasture, they would come out and it's, it's an amazing thing. Listen, I don't wanna get too much into it because we're gonna talk about Jesus next week is gonna say, I am the good shepherd. So I don't wanna get too much into the shepherd and sheep thing. We're gonna talk about that next week. But when a shepherd would come out, if, even if there were the mingling of flocks, when he would call them, his sheep would separate themselves automatically from the rest of the sheep because they knew his voice. And again, we'll, we'll see that here in just a few minutes. Jesus is going to make reference to that. One more piece of context that's pretty interesting is the preceding text. What happens in John chapter nine? In John chapter nine, and we covered this in one of the miracles, it's the miracle where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. You guys remember the story? He, he says, who sinned, this man or his parents, right? And there was this whole big debacle. There were 14 questions that gets asked of this man during that whole, um, that whole you know, discussion between the Pharisees and between the blind man and his parents. And at the end of it, at the end of the story, they don't like the way he answers the questions because he ultimately points to Jesus as the reason that he's healed and then asks them, why do you want to follow him? They get angry, they get mad, and they kick him out. They say, all right, listen, since you're going to be this way, then you're out of the synagogue. Now, for us, we go, well, man, I would sure hate to get kicked out of my church, but it doesn't hold the same context as it does in Jesus' day. For somebody to say you're out of the synagogue means now you're isolated. Can you imagine this? From your family, like you're cut off. You're isolated from your friends. You're isolated from the culture. You're isolated from everything. You are an outcast. It would almost be the equivalent, maybe today, maybe today, of, of not, not, not being like outed by your church, but literally like maybe being put in prison. Because in that context, you were separated. So when you were kicked out of the synagogue, you weren't just like estranged in the sense of, well, we don't, we're not talking right now. I mean, you literally were separated sociologically. And it was a really, really difficult place to be. So this man, this guy who was born blind that Jesus heals, you guys remember the story, made the mud cake, put it on his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. This guy's now healed and he is outed by his own culture and his own people. He's outed. With all that as our context today, I want to I want to set up the text with one last piece of information. I'm not Monty Hall, and I'm not here to make a deal. 
But what I do want you to understand is today that as we look at this text, there are two doors. And here is the thing that we really need to grab onto. There, in, these, in this whole deal, there, there are these two doors, but um, we, there, we are all at some point, we, every one of us, every one of us, we either are now or we were at some point in our past, we were all behind door number one. Some of us are not behind door number one anymore, but some may be here today who are behind door number one, and you'll understand that a little bit more fully. So let's look real quick, let's look real quick at um, door number one. Verses one through three of John chapter 10 is where we will be. John 10 uh, verses one through three says, truly, truly, I say to you. So again, remember, this is right after this whole deal with the, I mean, this is still the scene. The scene hasn't changed. You know, sometimes in scripture, we have these gaps where like this happened and then months later, something else happened. This is all same scene. John seven through John 10, one scene. And, and it says, truly, truly, so Jesus talking, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, and watch this, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Door number one is an exit-only door. That's why I'm saying we all at one time, we either all, we've all been there, and some of us may still be there, some of you may still be there, but we were all behind door number one. Notice that Jesus said he leads them out. Leads them out of what? What is Jesus saying he's leading them out of? Remember again the context. What has just happened and who's in the crowd? The man who was born blind, he's been excommunicated from the synagogue. The people who kicked him out are there. and the, So those religious leaders, those Pharisees, they are still in the audience. And so let's take Another look at one more piece of context. Remember, Jesus, I am meaning that we discussed last week. For more detail on that, go back and listen to last week's message and, and, and get a little bit more context. But his seven I am statements communicate that Jesus is completely God. He's, he's saying that, remember that name uh, I am was the, the formal name of God from the Old Testament, Yahweh. And it is, Jesus, when he makes seven I am statements, seven again being the number of completion, seven I am statements, I am completely God. And again, I don't want to rehash all that, but just, I don't want to rehash all of the history of the relationship of God with his people that began with Abraham. So that was last week as well, but you can go back and listen to it. But after God brings them out of Egypt through Moses, you guys, again, remember the story. As after, after God brings them out of Egypt, um, God takes Moses to Mount Sinai and he takes him up there. And what does he do on Mount Sinai? He gives Moses the 10 commandments, right? You remember the whole Charlton Heston scene, that whole deal. God gives Moses the 10 commandments. Now, the interesting thing is, is the 10 commandments are not a to-do list of things that we need to do as human beings in order to get into God's graces, in order for God to save us. It is not conditions for a relationship with God. It is confirmation that one already exists. Why? How do we know that? Because God brought them out of Egypt, then gave them to the 10 commandments. He didn't say, hey, by the way, here's the 10 commandments. If you guys will just all behave, I'll get you out of slavery. It was the other way around. So the Ten Commandments are not conditions for a relationship. They are confirmation that one already exists. Man would then take something God meant for good and he, they, would, they would use it for evil. 
Man would take the Ten Commandments and through the, through the Levitical priesthood, they would create 613 Levitical laws in order to enforce man or help man follow the Ten Commandments. Could you imagine? Here's, hey, here's 10 things to do. If your wife gives you 10 things to do on your day off, you're like, 10? I can, I can handle 10. But if she says, well, let me do some explanation on that. I'm going to break these things down for you. I'm going to give you 613 things to do in order to accomplish the 10. We're in trouble, right? And this is what man did. Man took Moses, uh, God's Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses, and he says, here, man says, hey, here's 613 laws that will help us fulfill the Ten Commandments. So this, is, this creates a religious system, and this religious system creates a hierarchy of the haves and the have-nots. The religious elites all the way down to the social outcasts. And the religious elite would use this system to their benefit. They would use it to their benefit in that um, in order to out anyone they did not like. So if we didn't like you, if you didn't like what, if we didn't like the way you were behaving, if you didn't fall in line with our little laws and things that we created, you're out. Just like we saw with the blind man. Or if anyone challenged their authority, which is what Jesus was doing, hey, you're out. Which is why it kind of got them all stirred up and that's why they had Jesus crucified. And then again, anyone they felt as a threat, that's, that's just how they handled it. So all these legal, um, all this, this whole legalized system was in place and man was using it not for good, but for their own desires and their own benefits. So in order to be in, you had to follow not just God's laws, but you had to follow all of their rules. And so Jesus steps into this system and into this culture and he begins speaking out against the religious elites He's calling the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's calling these guys to task and, um, and all of their man-made rules. And as he begins to speak the truth, as Jesus shows up on earth and begins to speak the truth, he says, listen, you created this whole system. He says, but I'm here. I've got this whole new thing that I'm doing. I've got a new covenant. You know the old covenant. I got a new covenant. And he said, that new covenant is going to be in my blood. And so he shows up and he begins to speak. And what happens when he begins to speak is his sheep. His fold, his flock begin to hear his voice and they are called out of that system. So they're called out of this religious institution and into a relationship with an amazing and a holy God. And that is the calling out of door number one that we see in verses one through three. See, we all are or once were behind a door that Jesus is calling us out of. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that we were all behind that door? And it's not just the religious system. I mean, it can be a religious system. Sometimes we can get lost in religion. We can, we can buy into the, the falsehood that coming to church, sitting in a pew, singing songs, listening to a sermon somehow makes us one of his sheep. It does not. That looks more like the old religious system, not what Jesus came to put into place. But why do I say that we were all once behind door number one? What is the point in that? I want to read you several passages of scripture from the New Testament. And this is, uh, most of these, all of these are from the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 3 verse 10, look at this. None is righteous, no not one. In other words, you, we, were all in this, um, we were all in this enclosure, right? He's saying none is righteous. We were all grouped together. None is righteous, no, not one. Look at Romans 3, 23. Here's another explanation of, of being behind door number one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
I want to read you another lengthy section. This is in the book of Galatians. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. And listen to this, how it plays out, so that you'll see the tension in these passages of the religious system and the law versus what God is doing through Jesus Christ. In verse 15 of Galatians 3, so he's been talking about this whole um, Abrahamic covenant deal and what the promise that came through Abraham. This is the context of Romans 3.15. And in 15 it says, To give a human example, brothers, even if a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward, after the promise made to Abraham, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to uh, make the promise void. So after the promise to Abraham, 430 years later, comes the, the Ten Commandments, comes the law. And so what he's saying is, he said, that did not take the place of the promise. He's saying the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to um, make the promise void. Verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So he says, look, God made this covenant with mankind through a promise. And then ultimately Jesus would become the fulfillment of that promise. But I want you to go on. We're going to skip down to verse 21. Listen to what it says. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? So there's this tension that it's like, wait a minute. So do we not obey the law? Do we obey the law? I mean, is it contrary to the promises of God? What's the deal? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But, now watch this, here it is. So this is this grouping, this is all of us. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So, again, we all once were, or may still be, depending on what you've done with Jesus, imprisoned by our walls of sin. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We have all violated God's law, and so we are therefore imprisoned by this thing that we've created. And by the way, there is a gatekeeper. So we, here we are, we feel comfortable sometimes in the world that we live in. So there's a lot of people that would say, hey, I don't need Jesus. Like, I, what do I need Jesus for? My life is good. I've got plenty of money. I got a house. I got cars. I got a wife. I got kids. Or I got a husband. I got kids. I've got all the things that, that the world offers to me, and I'm comfortable in that. Why do I need Jesus? There are people who push back against that, and that is the thing that they say. I don't need Jesus. I mean, Jesus is just some form of religion. I don't need that. But here's the reality. The reality is, is when we look at it from this picture that Jesus is giving us of the sheep and the sheepfold, the sheepfold is our sin, but our sin is what we're used to. We're, we're, we feel safe in it. So there's a gate. And by the way, the gate is the law as we're in behind door number one. We look at the law and we go, okay, the law is what has us in prison. We can't get through that. We can't make our way through it. We can't push our way through it. We can't work our way through it. It might as well be, our sin might as well be a 10,000 feet high wall with a 10,000 feet high door that's called the law. That we cannot be good enough on our best day to get our way through that wall. And so we are imprisoned. The law is the gatekeeper and there is no way out. This is not a prison like maybe other prisons where you can earn your way out on good behavior. 
No such thing. And so Jesus said, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about this gate. And he said, when the shepherd shows up, the gatekeeper opens it. And the sheep, he calls the sheep. The sheep hear his voice in verse 3. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So that's door number one. Let me ask you a question. So we think about door number one, that we're all, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We are all imprisoned. Uh, scripture, uh, according to Galatians chapter 3, Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So we're living in this, right? So if, let me ask you a question. Do you find yourself today feeling a little bit like you're a prisoner of your past, where you see all the things that you've done. I could never be good enough on my best day. God, I know all the things that I've done and I feel so ashamed. And then I look at the law, I look at the word of God and I go, God, I can never get out of this. So there's really no reason for me to even respond to your call. Or do you find yourself questioning whether or not you have ever really truly responded to the voice of God because he says, listen, the shepherd when he shows up, he calls his sheep and when his sheep hear his call, they follow him. They follow them, he follows them out of whatever that thing is for you. What is it that you feel like, you know what, I'm not really, I've never really placed my faith in Christ, but what is that thing that you feel like is your way of trying to work your way into some sort of good feeling, good state, good position so that when you die, you won't feel terrible about yourself? What is that? And we all have one. And for a lot of people in, in our culture, it's this. Show up on Sunday morning, check the box, go home, live my life like I want to live my life, and then I'll feel good about myself that one day because I showed up to church for X number of weeks throughout the entirety of my life that one day God's going to look at me and say, well, I have to let you in because you went to church. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, listen, there's this prison that you're in and there's this law that you can't get by. And this is, but the shepherd shows up and he calls his sheep. And this is, again, the context in which he's speaking this into the, the people of Israel. I'm calling you out. And the people who hear my voice, the people who can hear my voice, follow. And God, Jesus, leads them out. Which is why it, it, it somewhat bothered me that sometimes you, you talk to people about your faith and you share your faith and you invite people to follow Jesus. And I've legitimately had people go, you know, I'm good right now. Maybe one day. Like, I'm just, an enjoy, I'm just enjoying life. Life's good. Um, I don't really need to add anything else to, my, else to my life. Maybe one day I will, I will, listen, the shepherd may not always stand at the gate and call your name. You, you, we need to respond. When we hear the voice, we should respond. When the shepherd steps up and calls your, calls your name, you should respond. That is, how, that is the appropriate response that we should take. So here we are. Are you still behind door number one, or have you been called out and responded to the call of the shepherd? If you have, or if you decide today to follow the shepherd out, you get the privilege, the amazing privilege of door number two. Let me tell you about door number two. We're going to see this. Actually, let me let Jesus tell you about door number two. It's found in um, four through, through nine. We're going, to, we're going to look at this real quick. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, here it is, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, we're going to take a look, deeper look at the sheep and the shepherd um, next Sunday. Right now, we're going to look at the second door. And this door is accessible to those who have heard the voice of the shepherd. And they have come out from behind the prison walls and the gate of the law. He's called them out of that. And um, the door is accessible to those who have heard the voice of the shepherd and have followed him out of the prison of their sin because the gate of the law had been fulfilled. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so now, because of his sacrifice, because of his shed blood on the cross, there is now the law has been satisfied in God's eyes for those who place their faith, those who believe in, those who follow the shepherd out. In other words, I trust you instead of staying in my own sinful state. And my sinful state could be like, look, I'm just enjoying life too much. This all feels good. It tastes good. It looks good. Whatever. I'm just going to stay here because this, is, this feels comfortable. It feels good. Or sometimes we can stay there because, again, we've just, our, our prison might be religion. We've become comfortable in, in our religious approach to, to God. Or it, it might just be that whole, hey, I hear your voice, but I'm just going to wait. I'm going to chill right here for a little while. This door is accessible to those who hear his voice, follow him out of the prison. Again, because the law has been fulfilled in Jesus and he has replaced it in a sense, not replaced as in done away with, but replaced it with this new covenant, this new thing, this new way of looking at our worthiness. Our worthiness is not based on works. We have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest no man should boast. It is, the, it is a gift of God. And Jesus steps in and says, hey, look, this right here, I can remove for you. If you will trust, instead of your works, if you'll trust what I've done, I become the gatekeeper. So I call you out of that pen, into the, out of that sheepfold, and now you become my sheep. You follow me, which is where this is a really big deal for us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just, hey, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. All right, even the demons believe and tremble. It's not that just that Jesus died on the cross and that even Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. It's also calling him Lord. He's my shepherd. I'm gonna follow him. So yes, hey, busted wide open the gate. Hey, you guys come follow me. And now it's a matter of following Jesus. Not just, hey, the door's open. Like I, I've saved you. I've rescued you. It's no, I don't want you to just stay in this pen. I want you to come out. I'm calling you out so that you can, why? Follow me. And, and it's amazing. It says that, he says, I am the door in verse nine. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And watch this, not just saved from your sin so you can go to heaven. And he says this, and will go in and out and he will find pasture. The door is accessible to those who have heard the voice of the shepherd, followed him out of the prison of their sin because of the gate. The gate of the law has been fulfilled and because Jesus has replaced it with himself. You come through me. 
Look at at Hebrews 9.15. This is such a beautiful, powerful passage. In Hebrews 9.15, it says this. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. Man, I love that Jesus just is about new covenants and making us new. So that those who are called, here's that calling out, may receive the promised eternal inheritance since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So here's this picture again that he gives us. Like the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, there was an old covenant, there's a new covenant. The new covenant is in Christ. Jesus is calling out us to the old covenant and into a new. And guess what happens in the new covenant? What does the second door do for us? Jesus would say in verse nine, it allows us to come in and go out. Which you get onto your kids for, but Jesus is totally okay with it. It's in or out. Did you, how many of y'all's parents said, in or out? Anybody? Yeah. Like, man, they just, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be, I want to do both. Can I do both? And what, what do they say if you just decide to not close the door? Were you raised in a barn? Yes. I am God's sheep, right? Like, we'll get more into that next week. I am God's sheep. Not in and out of salvation. He's not talking about that because a lot of people would say, oh, this is just talking. He's not saying you follow me in and out. No, no, no. He's already called you out. If you follow him out of that first door, you are now his. You are saved because you've entered into a new covenant through Jesus' blood. You're now his. He's saying you can enter in and out. Now watch this. So a shepherd calls you out of a pen that you used to be in. And by the way, that pen was mixed with other sheep, sheep who were not the shepherds. Just, it's just like the world that we're born into. We are born into a world where there, I mean, we know this, right? There are other people who live in the world with us who are not of Jesus' calling. And so Jesus steps into the world, and, and, and sometimes now in our world today, he does it through his word. And we get, to, we get exposed to his word, we hear his word, and then all of a sudden he calls us out from among all the other people. We are supposed to be holy as he is holy. What does holy mean? Separated. We are separated out. Why? For God's purposes. So he calls us. We separate ourselves from the rest of the crowd. We're, look, we, we may be around other sheep, but we, are not, we don't belong to the owner of the other sheep. We don't belong to the kingdom and the darkness and the principalities and the prince of this world. We belong to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We belong to him and he has called us out and then he separates us. And then here's the beautiful thing that he does for us. And this is where so many Christians just completely miss the beauty of salvation. We think the beauty of salvation is that I get to go to heaven when I die and I don't have to burn down there with the guy with the tail and the pitchfork. That is not it. I mean, that's part of it. But there's a much greater thing that God gives us. He gives us eternal life, not one day, but today. Like we get to experience the beauty of salvation now. And so Jesus says, when I call them out, guess what? They follow me, they hear my voice, my voice, and, um, and I go before them. And then he, he would say, again, in verse nine, he says, uh, I'm the door. And anyone who enters by me, this is, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Some people would say, oh, well, does that say that you can lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Once you belong to the shepherd, the thief, we'll see in a second, the thief cannot get you, take you out of the sheepfold. But here's what he does. This is the in and out that he's talking about. Imagine you're, you're one of his sheep, you're following the shepherd, and there is a sheepfold. And Jesus does allow you to come in, and Jesus does sleep in the gate. The thief isn't going to be able to come in. The thief is not going to be able to climb the walls. He is the guard. He is your security. And so he lets us live in the safety 
Guess what? We've talked about this in series past. He lets us live in the safety of his word. That's the new wall. And he is the gate. He is the door. He allows us to live in the safety of this. In this, you operate here. Guess what? You operate here. And, and man, your world, it's good. Doesn't mean everything good is going to happen to you. Don't hear me say that. But if you operate here, even when the bad things happen, he is still with you and he sees you through all the difficulties and the strains in life. If you operate here, there are no consequences operating under the law of God. This is a safe place. This is the boundary of your dwelling. This is where human flourishing can occur. And then he says this, so I'm gonna give you a place to, to live, to stay, to abide, and I'm gonna abide with you. I'm gonna guard the gate. And then he says, you have safety and security here. And it's beautiful. Like you can sleep at night without wondering if you're gonna be devoured by a wolf. But then he says this, hey, but listen, I also, not only will you come in, but I will also lead you out. When, when it's time for us to move, I will get up, I will call you, you will follow. And guess what? It's, it's something that we are all very familiar with, and I just want to read this to you because this is the beautiful part of it. When he leads you out, what does he do? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You won't have any lack. You will not be deprived of anything. The shepherd knows where the green grass is. The shepherd leads the sheep to where the food is at and to also this. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. There's your, there's your food. There's your supply. There's all the things that he's going to provide. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep won't go. Hey, listen, I didn't know this. Sheep won't go, and I don't want to get, again, too much into it, but sheep won't go and drink from, like, rushing, like, crazy, rapid water. Leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his namesake, we follow him. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's the difficulties. What's his promise? I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is Psalm 23. It's the Psalm that we're all extremely familiar with and now this becomes the, the background music to the lyrics that Jesus is laying down right here when he said, I will lead you, you can come in and out. When you're in, you're safe. When you wanna come out, I'll be the one leading you and I'm gonna lead you to the things that you need in life. I'm gonna provide for you, I'm gonna be your protector and I'm gonna lead you into these green pastures and these still waters and it is going to be a life that Jesus is gonna describe here in a second. Look at verse 10 and we'll close. And John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because of the beauty of this promise, the thief. So here it is, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, let me, let me just say this, and I want to close with this real quick because I, I don't want to just leap over this too fast, but I, I do want to wrap this up. There is a thief. I know in our world it seems a little crazy or weird or whatever. People, don't, people think of the devil as this guy with horns and pitchfork and like, no, no, no. It's not that. But there is a thief. And his job 
When we're behind door number one, stuck in that pen, he wants to come in and he wants to destroy your life. And that's his job. When we're stuck in our sin, when we are stuck in our own pride that we won't accept the gift of Jesus Christ, we are just laying victim to the thief. And he can. Let me tell you something about the thief. The thief is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful, but he does have some power. He is not omnipresent. If, you, if you're from a Bible background, you'll remember there was a time when Jesus came and he cast the demons out and they cast them into the pigs. He's not omnipresent. Demons and the devil, they're not, he's not, they're not omnipresent. They ha, they, they're restricted. They're not like Jesus. Nor are they omniscient. Like the devil doesn't know everything. Now he knows how to tempt you and me. He does know that because the temptations of mankind, right? I mean, it's the, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He knows, where, he knows where to hit all of us. It, it may take time to figure out what the carrot is for you, but he will figure it out, and he does dangle it. Why? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he is, he is limited in his power. He does not have all power because God is in control of all things. He is able to make you an offer. He made Jesus an offer. Jesus, if you'll remember in the temptation uh, back in, in the book of Matthew in chapter five it, or four, it takes, he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle. He says, look, all this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. He has something to offer you and it looks good. It looks fun. It looks amazing. But the reality of it is, is yeah, it, 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 he gets you in, but then you're stuck and he's got you. And all he wants to do, he's going to climb in over the fence. He's going to grab you up. And his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. So question. Are you still, as our team comes on the stage, are you still behind door number one? Where are you at? Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the door. First he comes and leads us out of door one and then he says, I got a second door for you. If you'll follow me out, there's a second door. One that provides safety and one that provides all that you need. Everything that you need in life, I will be your provision. I will lead you into green pastures. I will lead you beside still waters. But before you can ever be led out by the shepherd, you have to first come out of door number one. And door number one, as we said, is a prison. It's a prison of our own sinful background. It's a, it's, a, it's a reminder of all of the things that we've done wrong. And it is, it is the door of it is the law that we look at it and go, I can't do that. I can't keep that. And it's true. That's why Jesus came. And then he calls. So with-